if you're a contender in a perfect world, you keep the talent you have and actually add to it. If you're a wannabe, a team that thinks you could compete if you make the right move, then you go all in on somebody like a Fred Van Fleet, Montrez Harrell, Danilo Gallinari. Gallo can help you out. Gallo can get you buckets. What about somebody like Davis Bortans, a guy that can shoot the three almost 47%. Aaron Baines, versatile big, had a very good season for the Suns. There is a market for him. The bottom line is this. In the NBA offseason, especially this one, where the draft is on the 18th, actually, in this case, it's 24 hours away. And 48 hours after that, free agency. It is going to be crazy. It's going to be the best time, though, for if you're an NBA addict. We will analyze everything, scrutinize every move. It's the NBA Cypher. Let's go. The best thing about the NBA offseason is that every trade, every draft pick, every deal that gets made, Every star that moves, we scrutinize, we analyze it. We wonder if it's a move to compete for a title or is it just a move to draw in fans? Or maybe it's a salary dump. When you go into NBA free agency, there is no exact or perfect formula. Yes, every team wants to add more talent and keep what talent they have if it fits their franchise their system, and if they have true franchise players to build around. Sometimes it's as simple as adding a role player, someone like a Robert Covington. If you go back, back, back in the day, a Derek Fisher, Mario Ellie, Robert Ori, Steve Kerr. I can go on and on, but that's part of the excitement about the NBA offseason. This particular offseason is unique because the draft is going to be on the 18th of this month. And then 48 hours later, we go into free agency. And I thought the next 10 days would be crazy. It's been crazy the last 24 hours. Chris Paul is going to the Suns. Drew Holiday is going to be playing with Giannis with the Bucks. Robert Covington just got sent to the Blazers. And now there are rumors, potential talks, that James Harden could be heading to the Brooklyn Nets. We already know the Rockets are open for business when it comes to Russell Westbrook. And it goes both ways. Russ is ready to bounce as well. Speaking of scrutiny, is there any star who's more scrutinized than Russell Westbrook to some degree? What I would say is, yes, Russ has not won a title. And I never thought he could be the best player on a title-winning team. But I do think he can be an asset on a team that wins a title. The question is, can he step back far enough? Or the things that make him great or make him the player that he is, also the things that hold him back because he does a little too much, or he wants to do it so badly. He wants it so bad. Russ doesn't cheat you. He gives you everything. You can watch Russell Westbrook, and there are players out there who are talented. Some are more talented 
but they give you less. So to all the people that think Russ is done, I disagree. Yes, he struggled in the bubble and he did catch COVID. He did have a surgery before joining the Rockets in the bubble. People forget this. He didn't come to the Rockets till late nearing the playoffs. I don't think he ever got in shape. I definitely don't think he was any kind of rhythm. But prior to the pandemic, he was playing the best basketball of any players not named Giannis or LeBron. In year 12, 27 points, eight rebounds, seven assists, a career-high 47% from the field. That 47% is important because it was a big deviation. What he did more of is he did what he did best. He attacked, he got downhill, he got to the foul line, and instead of shooting threes, which has never been a strength, he went into that step back, which he's actually pretty good at. When he gets into that pull-up, his mid-range pull-up, anywhere between 12 and 15 feet, He's very effective. But more importantly, when Russell Westbrook is in attack mode, when he gets downhill, that's when he looks like a superstar. I have no disagreement with anyone who wonders if he hasn't lost a step or if he doesn't have the hops that he had three years ago. Yes, he's lost some quickness, some athleticism. But the list of athletes in the current NBA that are quicker and more explosive than he is, even now in year 12, is short. When people say there's not a market for him, I would say there's more not a market for his contract. But if Russell Westbrook took a buyout and you could sign him for the veterans minimum, I think contenders would be all over him. As it stands, though, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Russell Westbrook will end up maybe with Jordan, depending on what kind of package, what kind of assets the Bobcats can put together to get him or the Knicks. And granted, these aren't teams that are contenders. But put Russell Westbrook in the Eastern Conference. Give him decent young talent around him. Can he get you into the AFC? He's not going to take you to a title. But could he be that bridge star that makes your team relevant, that makes your team maybe more attractive to other players? I've heard people say he could stunt the growth of young, talented players. Potentially, that could be true. I would remind you when KD left, when it was just him and there wasn't really a true superstar or other star with him, he was able to still get them into the playoffs. And I know he and Paul George were, weren't able to get out of the first round, but Paul George didn't have a lot of success with Kawhi Leonard either. Big picture, I think Russell Westbrook going into season number 13, I think he's kind of bucking a trend. Any fan of the NBA knows that there's been this stigma that if you're an athletic guard or any player for that matter, and a lot of your game is predicated on your athleticism, that at some point you'd be done once your hops or quicks are gone. And that could be true. Here's the thing with Russ, though. Still quick. 
still has hops and that thing in his chest beats ever louder. He is coming at you. I was joking with a friend earlier about other players who are very good players, but they never take that leap to great or they don't seem to appear when you need them most. If they had what Russ has in his chest, some of these guys that are very good players that they call all-star caliber but never become all-stars, they would be perennial all-stars. I think Russ is far from done. And I also think on draft night, I would not be surprised if there were more draft night deals. Matter of fact, if you think about James Wiseman or any of the other core lottery picks, I think the I think the draft order will be as most in terms of where they'll go. The question is, how many of them are going to be picking for the franchise or staying with the franchise that selects them and how many are actually being picked for someone else? Because the most intriguing team in the offseason outside of the world champion Lakers, because you wanted to know what the champs were going to do. You wanted to know, are they going to run it back? Are they going to be able to keep Rondo, bring Dwight in, or maybe add some talent? And Rob Palinka and company, they've already answered that question. They've made a deal in principle to acquire Dennis Schroeder. And if you know Dennis Schroeder, the Lakers have just gotten another guy who can drop 20 a night, get downhill, create for himself and others, and he's become a better three-point shooter. More importantly, he's 27 years old. So I think the Schroeder move is a move for the present and the future. Anthony Davis is 27 years old. And I don't think the Lakers are done. A lot of the familiar faces that were part of their championship rotation, I think a few of them won't be back. But in some ways, they seem to be trying to upgrade. I heard the Lakers are in pursuit of Serge Ibaka, and that would be a big, big acquisition. That would give you a 4-5 man that can not only block shots from the weak side. He's able to play in space better than most bigs and surge offensively can stretch the floor because he's a terrific three-point shooter. I'm watching the Lakers and I'm watching the Golden State Warriors, the lottery team, the team that had the worst record in the NBA last year. I think the Warriors are one of the more intriguing teams in this offseason. Think about this. Golden State has the number two pick in the draft. They've got a $17 million trade exception, which means they can acquire a guy who's almost a max player right into their roster and it won't affect their cap. They get that $17 million trade exception from the Andre Iguodala trade to the Grizz. And that's a very valuable tool depending on how they choose to use it. They also have Andrew Wiggins, who they could package him in a deal. Or I look at Andrew Wiggins, and I think as your fourth option, Andrew Wiggins is a better version of Harrison Barnes. He's also younger and more athletic than the current version of Harrison Barnes, who's now in Sacramento. I think Andrew Wiggins, if they don't move him, will be a great asset as a fourth option for the Warriors. The question is what they do with the pick. 
Is it for them or is it part of a bigger deal? Because I believe, depending on what they do this offseason, I think the Golden State Warriors are going to be one of the top three teams in the West. I think they're going to compete for the title or in terms of, let's say, compete for the Western Conference Championship. A lot of people are talking Nuggets. Some are talking Clippers. I was thinking, how can the Nuggets upgrade? And the guy who just went to the Bucks, Drew Holiday, would have been a perfect fit for Denver to go with Murray and the Joker. That would have gave them somewhat of a big three because Drew Holiday can lock down on one end and he can drop 20 on you with seven assists and six rebounds on the other end. I think Denver is still in need of a third guy. And I know Porter Jr.'s potential. We've seen a small sample size of what he could do. But we've also seen him on the other end where he's a horrible defender. And he's inconsistent still offensively. I also wonder, because I've heard rumors that the the Nuggets are thinking about including Bo Bo in a lot of those trades. I think Bo, in terms of who's more well-rounded, might be a more well-rounded player than Porter Jr. right now. And he seems to be one of those kids that's like a sponge who will only get better. He can already put the ball on the floor better than Porter. He can do everything better but score. And and again, he's the rookie. He's the actual rookie. So that's going to be interesting. I'm looking at teams like the Portland Trailblazers, wondering what Dame and CJ and company can do. Well, Again, they just added Robert Covington, which is big. One of the best 3 and D guys in the NBA. He will upgrade the Blazers' perimeter defense because as a group, they were terrible. Look, CJ and Dame, explosive scores, but they're not very good defenders. They didn't have anybody who could guard on the perimeter. And I'm not talking about team D. I'm talking about team, individual. They're just a horrible defensive team. Covington will help, but they need to add another defender as well. I'm My problem with Portland is this. With a talented, dynamic backcourt, and it's an undersized backcourt that does so much, they desperately need a third guy on the perimeter or a third guy at the four or five spot. And I know a lot of people... They looked at what Melo did from. I thought Melo played well for the Blazers, gave him good production, was able to hit big shots when they needed him. So I like the addition of Melo, and I think the Blazers want to bring him back. Maybe a full, uh, an offseason uh, time to get in better shape for Nurkic will help him. Look, Nurkic is a really good center. I'm not sure he's going to ever be a, a, an all star caliber center, but he's very good. When I look at that roster top to bottom, and I like, again, I like what I saw from them in the playoffs or in terms of making the playoffs. That that was impressive. But when you look at that roster top to bottom, it's an older roster, and I don't see any young talent that can become a star. They have some good players, but I don't see anybody who can go to that next level. I look at Portland, and I think, This is a team that's going to be fighting for the A spot again this coming season. I just don't think they have enough firepower. And even with the addition of Covenant, which is a good addition, they seem to be a team that's that's on the verge of starting to transition. 
I look at a team like the Sixers, and you've got Tobias Harris, guys like Al Horford, who they brought in to help out Embiid and Simmons, and it just didn't work. There wasn't any chemistry. Al Horford and Embiid didn't work because of the spacing issues. It it looked better on paper than it did on the floor. Josh Richardson, a good player, but more of a role player. I think the Sixers, if they want to have a different season, if they want to have a different outcome, they have to make a dynamic and drastic change to their core. And I'm talking Simmons, Harris, Richardson, Horford, Embiid. They've got to do something dynastic. I love that word. If the Sixers are going to become a legit title contender, as they were a couple seasons ago, they need a major shakeup. And I look, I'm looking at free agency. They don't have the money to make a free agent move, not a big one. So they're going to have to do a trade. Take a team like the Raptors. Obviously, their biggest priority is to sign or re-sign, I should say, Fred Van Fleet in free agency. Messiah Jury, I'm sure he's got a number in mind to bring back Van Fleet. Van Fleet has already made it clear that his number one priority in free agency is to get paid. If they can bring him back on, let's say, a four-year, $80 million deal, that would be great. Because that wouldn't keep them out of the potential Giannis uh, bidding, if you if you will. But if what happened tonight matters and they can add other pieces, Giannis is going to sign that extension. So there won't be a, a war for Giannis at all. I'm looking at teams like the Dallas Mavericks who might take a step back. Przingis had surgery, won't start the season. I'm not sure what they're going to be able to do to find a player that can make up for 22 points a game, seven or eight rebounds, his ability to stretch the floor. Uh, I think Luka's going to put up numbers, but are the Mavericks going to be the team that you saw in the playoffs? Maybe by the end of the season. You never know. It depends on how long it takes Przingis to actually get into condition. The Miami Heat, the Eastern Conference champs, I think their key priority is to run it back more or less and not lose any of their core pieces. So, yes, I think they'll offer the Dragon, Goran Dragic, a contract, maybe a one-year deal, a one-year deal for Jay Crowder, and hopefully that's enough to bring them back. When you've got Bam, Jimmy Buckets, you've got Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn, and, of course, Tyler Hero, I like that group. That's a versatile group. The Heat move the ball well. They're a good defensive team. They stretch the floor, and Bam's 22 years old. Last year, 16 and 10, five assists. He's only going to get better. Jimmy Butler really impressed me. Look, Jimmy Buckets is an all-star, and I've always said this. There are guys more talented than he is, but I trust him more than them in terms of giving me everything he has. I'll say it again. I thought going into the NBA Finals, it had a potential to be a seven-game series because of the Heat's depth. It ended up going six because Jimmy Butler played like a superstar in three games. He played like a superstar, and he won two of those three games. He needed three of them, but Jimmy was great. There were times when Jimmy Butler was clear and far the best player on the floor. That's with LeBron and AD. That's how impressive he was in those Miami wins. 
So I know he can go to another level when the money's on the line. I know a lot of people think that Giannis will eventually end up on the heat. I'm not so sure about that. I think if the Bucks front office is going to continue to try to make dynamic moves like they made tonight by giving up three number one picks for Drew Holiday, Giannis is going to sign that extension, and that's going to be the end of the Giannis Bowl. I'm taking a look at the Clippers. You lose a 3-1 lead in the conference semifinals. You're the favorite to actually come out of the West for some. It's probably split between them and the Lakers, but it's not the Lakers' fault. They didn't hold up their end of the bargain and make it to the conference finals. The Clippers were interested in Drew Holiday. That didn't happen. They were interested in Dennis Schroeder. That didn't happen. I think if they run back the same club, they're going to be one of the powers in the West. But this is a club that seems to have a lack of chemistry. While Kawhi Leonard is a leader in terms of, by example, he's not a vocal leader. Neither is Paul George. They need to, I would say, not upgrade, but make some changes to maybe their core eight. Maybe some of their first guys off the bench, the seventh, eighth, ninth man. They need to make a decision. Montrez Harrell, sixth man of the year, terrific regular season, came into the bubble and was one of the worst plus minus players of the bubble. He did not look like a guy deserving of a big contract, which is what he's looking for in free agency. I'm sure the Clippers will have a number and they're going to offer it to him. But I don't think they're going to break the bank to keep Montrez Harrell. I think if anything, if his asking price seems too high, they might look to do a sign and trade. The Clippers need a point guard. And Rajon Rondo, I'm sure, is their number one target. Matter of fact, it wouldn't shock me if the Clippers were going after Rajon Rondo and Dwight Howard. If you put them into their rotation, they'd fit a lot better than Reggie Jackson. And Dwight would give you a legit shot blocker who can trade both ends, still a force in terms of getting rebounds, um, can still finish strong at the rim. In a lesser role for the Lakers, he was very productive in 18 minutes a game, seven points, seven rebounds, almost two blocks. He could do that in his sleep for the Clippers. This Clippers team, I still think, will make a run. I just don't know if they'll be able to catch the Lakers. And depending on what they do, will they be able to catch the Warriors? That's the thing. I keep coming back to those Warriors because you never know. Then you get the Denver Nuggets. They come back from not one, but two series down 3-1. Enough said. You got the Joker. You got Murray. I already told you about Michael Porter Jr. This is a talented team, but they're still in need of a third guy right now. Porter Jr. might be the future. And when you look at Murray, 22, Joker, 24, they need another guy right now. And they're probably going to lose Jeremy Grant depending on his asking price. Let's get back to the Chris Paul trade. What does that do for the Suns? Because I know I'm sure a lot of people were asking that question. You bring in a perennial all-star, first ballot Hall of Famer, 35 years old, to pair 
with 23-year-old Devin Booker, 21-year-old DeAndre Ayton, along with Mikael Bridges, who's only 23. What is the upside? Here's the upside. I think Chris Paul will be a great leader for Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. Any of those young players, he's going to help, not just on the floor, but in terms of his know-how, how he's preserved himself, body maintenance, health, nutrition, work ethic. And then on the floor, you're still talking about a guy who can get you between 16 and 18 a night, seven or eight assists, still a top defender and a shot maker. Chris Paul was the top clutch scorer in the NBA last season. Pair him with a talented player like Devin Booker, 26 points, six assists, four rebounds, 49% from the field, 36 from three. Devin Booker's the real deal. I had watched a lot of Suns games, but when you really look at DeAndre Ayton, and I'm just talking about his skill, his game, his skill set, how he plays, he moves a lot like Ralph Sampson. Now, obviously, Ralph Sampson was 7-4 with that kind of fluid scoring ability, with that kind of agility at 7-4, 8-6-11. But when I watch him move, the way he spins, the way he finishes, how he shoots over the top of people, he moves a lot like Ralph Sampson in terms of his makeup, in terms of his footwork and skill set. That's a good thing. Ralph Sampson was more of a finesse player. I think Aiton is too, and that's not a bad thing in this NBA because it's about creating space, mismatches, and the ability to stretch the floor. Aiton doesn't shoot the three yet at a high level, but he does shoot the mid-range at a high level. He does have a high basketball IQ. Pair him with a point guard like Chris Paul who will put you in the best possible position to score. Throw in what Booker can do, not just with his ability to create his own shot. I think Booker also will take some pressure off of Chris Paul as well. I think they can thrive off of each other. But the bottom line is this, in my opinion, I always preface this with barring injury. And obviously Chris Paul has had a lengthy injury history. But let's say CP3 can have a season similar to what he had with the Thunder, just like with the Thunder, I believe the Phoenix Suns will make this season's play- playoffs I, and, I, and not barely make it. I think the Suns can be like a sixth seed, maybe in the fifth seed. That That's what I think of this pairing. This is kind of a big three without anybody really calling it that because you're not, you don't see it that way because of the gap between Paul and the other two. Don't sleep on Mikael Bridges, Dario Saric, This team, whole, is going to be a problem. I think the Phoenix Suns are going to be one of the more fun teams to watch. They're also going to make some noise in the playoffs with this pairing. And obviously, we can get back to the draft and free agency. I'm not going to talk on the draft too much. Here's why. One, it's it's going to be a virtual draft, which is so different. We didn't really get to see a lot of workouts. Um, None of the three-on-three drills are the the kind of things we're used to seeing. With me, I'm going to focus more on free agents like Joe Harris of the net, a sharpshooter. I expect the Nets to bring him back. There's a market for Davis Pertans. 
There's a market for Christian Wood, guys that are 6'10", can stretch the floor. In Christian Wood's case, to finishes at the rim like a beast. Short sample size. But Christian Wood, if this is what he can be going forward, he fits perfectly with where the league is going in terms of bigs. I think a guy like Tim Hardaway Jr. just got that much more valuable for the Mavs because we don't know when Przingis is coming back. Again, welcome to the crazy season. Look, the, the rumor season is right after the season wraps up, and then we get all the crazy rumors. But when you hear about Westbrook and Harden and other stars that might be on the move, I think these are realities. Say it again. I think there will be some draft night moves. There will be more post draft moves as well because we're going right into free agency. Welcome to the silly season. Just because a few people have hit me up about the Isaiah Thomas world tour. I don't like Michael Jordan and I never knew he didn't like me. Here's the thing. Isaiah Thomas, one of the greatest to ever do it. The Pistons, the bad boy Pistons. Five conference finals, three NBA finals, two NBA championships, back-to-back champions. And Zeke will tell you, they did dominate the Bulls. Those are facts. They beat Chicago three times in a row in the playoffs. But that's how the NBA was. Somebody was running the show. Some team was dominating. An up-and-coming team broke through, and then it was their turn. That didn't change. The Celtics and Lakers ran the NBA. They owned the 80s. Eight titles between the two franchises, five for the Showtime Lakers, three for Bird's Celtics. In between, or what interrupted them, Moses Malone and Doc Sixers, and the Pistons won the last title of the 80s and the first title of the 90s. When the Bulls beat the Pistons, when they swept them, Isaiah Thomas would have you believe that the Pistons were old and washed. He was 29. Joe Dumars was 27. John Sally, 26. Dennis Rodman was 29. And this is important. After the Pistons were swept, Joe Dumars went on to go to four more All-Star games. Dennis Rodman went on to lead the league in rebounding seven times and win three more NBA titles with Michael Jordan. I'm not a Michael Jordan guy when you start talking about that you-know-what conversation. But Isaiah will give you they were old, they were worn down, they'd been to five conference finals. Larry Bird Celtics had gone to eight conference finals, five NBA finals. They were an older team when the Pistons beat them. And you never hear Larry Bird complain about age or being worn down. So what I would say is this, because both can be true. You can both be one of the great players of all time, but you have so much hidden resentment. Let me take that back. It's not hidden resentment, just resentment. But you got to let it go, Zeke. You're one of the all-time greats. But to me, this I'm whining tour, it's got to come to an end because there's a lot of crying. When I hear people say, well, the Bulls are crying. No. The 91 Pistons, when they got swept, they're crying a lot like a guy is crying today, if you know what I mean. It's the Cypher. Hit me up next time.